everyone, and welcome to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are brought to you by ProgressiveChristianity.org. Hope that you will find us on social media and follow us there, both ProgressiveChristianity.org and the Moonshine Jesus Show. Today, we're going to be talking about Vesper, and the thing that you should know about this is that we will spoil it for you. So if you haven't seen it, just know that there will be spoilers. I am joined, as always, with by my friend Mark Sandlin. How are you doing today, Mark? I am doing great. I hope you are, sir. I am doing fantastic. Yeah, yeah I really am. I'm doing great. Excellent. And uh, I've got to hear it here. Yeah, uh, right. I, I, I've yeah. got a drink with me. I bet you do too. Well, on the right? moonshine, Jesus, drink? Oh, wait, drink? What? Yes, Wait, I definitely what? Drink. Oh, so, oh yeah. Wait, so, uh, good. I'm glad I brought one. Right. Well, you know, the show that we're going to be talking about today wasn't exactly like a big world famous kind of show. Although I think mm-hmm. it, maybe it should have been. Uh, so you couldn't go out and Google Vespa, Vesper cocktails and find anything. So what I decided to do was make one of my own. Uh, and I'm doing this based on, if you remember the scene where Vesper finds Camellia and brings her home and offers her food mm-hmm. and gives her this bowl of brownish, dark, blackish, brownish gruel water uh-huh. and then drops some big grubs on top uh-huh. and hands it to her and goes, I gave you the juicy ones. Yes. So I actually I actually ordered edible uh, uh, grubs for humans that were supposed <laughs> to be here this morning. And they did not arrive. And I was going to trim my glass out. That was going to be the trim on my oh, glass. So gross. I know. I wasn't able to do that. So uh, what? But I was able to put together a drink that uh, kind of looks color-wise like what she served. I've made it out you of bourbon. You had something brown? You had something brown <laughs> in your house? wonder what that could have been. I made it out of bourbon, half and half, chocolate sauce, creamed a cacao, and uh, just a little bit of uh, a, a me- Amaro uh, Averna, which is a kind of a, a almost medicinal Italian liqueur. And then I use, since I didn't get my grubs in the mail, I use some gummy worms to uh, trim it out. But you can see I've got kind of that, that yeah. shade of color going on that they had with that gruel. So what, what direction did you go in with this? I'm very curious. <laughs> so um, I'm not eating any grubs or what? anything like that. Oh, I know. It's so disappointing. And, you know, I've got to commend you because last week you had a sucker with, like, ants in it. Ants in it, and, yep. And I tried to have grubs eating. this week. I, I know, and even... And I'll, I'll even go this... I'll go this far as to say, I almost put a sucker with grubs in it, but I felt like it was too redundant because I do have a sucker here with grubs. <laughs> you can have that on the side. Okay, uh, what, what, so... Uh, where, what, where'd you take this? Okay, so I, I went more with uh, the plant theme. So oh, okay. one of the things that we've seen Big is that thing. plants have, have morphed. There's this ecological uh, price, uh, crisis. And so mm-hmm. I've got a, a strawberry vodka smash. So it's, uh, it's sugar and lime. It's strawberries and vodka topped off with club soda. So it's kind of a nice fruity drink for this season that's beginning to start to feel like spring, you know, in some places, Absolutely. some parts of the world. And so I liked, I liked the tie in with the plants as well. Perfect. And, you know, there's nothing that, uh, that has ever been crawling, uh, or squirming or anything <laughs> or like that in my drink. My, like yours. <laughs> so, that's good. Uh, yeah. Here Cheers we go, sir. Cheers. Absolutely. 
How's it? Is it good? It's really good. It's really good. Okay. It, it, might, be right. little, it, might, it might be a little too good. Actually. <laughs> Let's come back after the drop. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. You are joining us for our Geek Out segment, where we're going to today be talking about a movie that came out late 2022, but very few people, well, I wouldn't say very few people, but it wasn't as widely celebrated uh, in just the general um, world as it should have been. Uh, critics seem to have loved it. I think it's got a 90-some fresh on uh, Rotten Tomatoes from the critics. Mm -hmm. But for those of you who haven't seen it uh, and aren't worried about the spoilers, but need to kind of get a, a background of what this is all about so that uh, our, our dialogue might make some sense, let, let me try to explain. It's, it's simple and complicated all at once. So Vesper is a, the movie is a dystopian fairy tale about this 13-year-old amateur biohacker named of course, Vesper, uh, who, who wants and consistently pursues more than she should expect from life. Uh, she lives in a time when a genetically induced ecological catastrophe has put the earth into, quote, as the movie begins off telling us the new dark ages, hence the name of my dream. Um, and not surprisingly, there are varying classes of people who end up hoarding and surviving in this. And the top class is known as the Citadels, and they sort of control the world through food production, handing out like uh, seeds, but they, kept, they only produce one time around. And Vesper and her bedridden dad struggle near the bottom of all of those classes. And life ultimately changes for Vesper and her dad when she finds an older girl from one of the Citadels uh, who has crash landed near her house. So, Caleb, this was one that we kind of made a decision rather quickly decide to do, mostly based on the New York Times and good critic reviews. Um, we have made a mistake in the past for doing such things. We have. What was your ex <laughs> yeah, we really have. What was your experience of the show, man? Yeah, here's looking at you, uh, Guardians of Time. That was uh, <laughs> that was one of us. Classically bad. <laughs> no. I, I loved it. Yeah, because I didn't know what to expect. And we've been talking a lot about some of this uh, dystopian future kind of stuff, especially yeah. ecological crisis stuff. And so, you know, the market is pretty heavily saturated with that right now. Oh, and I, I wasn't sure quite what to expect, but this one really grabbed a hold of me. Do you ever like when you're in the middle of a movie, sometimes just like stop for a minute and say, this is really good. <laughs> like yeah. I, I like, I'm really appreciating this and I, I feel very invested in the character. And I think, you know, I, some shows do a really good job of that, especially when we're seeing through the eyes of like a kid experiencing the world and making sense of the world. And this was one of those that, uh, that yeah. we got to see in that way. And I think seeing through Vesper's eyes as she's experiencing the world uh, was something that was really gripping 
so so it grabbed me right away. Did it grab you in that way? I'll be Mark, honest. Right off the top, well, I don't know. At the, at the top, I was yeah. getting, I was very concerned because, like you said, this is a genre that's been really just done into the floor. And I thought, oh well, yeah. it's going to be another one of those. Although visually, I was hooked pretty immediately because visually, mm -hmm. this is you can tell there's something different about it visually. It's really not right. your your standard. Um, but I also had that moment where I went, you know what? No, this is different than all of that. I mean, it, yeah, it's a dystopian coming of age story. I can't believe that that is like an overdone category, but it is an <laughs> right? overdone category, a dystopian coming of age. But, you know, this coming of age story, it isn't a pretty one. Coming of age stories almost always end up being a pretty story where they mature to a point where they're now mm -hmm. able to whatever. And this is more about someone coming to grips with the reality of how difficult life is, and the constant change that, that she's always going to have to be dealing with. And then they put this character, who the, the way I finally decided to describe the character, I, am, I find this character so appealing. Uh, tell me if you think this is a good description. Uh, she has, Vespa has this pragmatic cynicism wrapped around an indelible spirit. You, and that's a character I've never seen before, but that's, is that not who Vespa is? I, I love that. See, that should have been written in the description of this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Right. Because she, she realizes where she is and the harsh realities of what is happening, but she's also so optimistic that things can change even when there is no reason around her to think not that anything around her going to change. And even people in her life saying, you, you've got to give this up. Uh, this optimism is only going yeah. to hurt you because we've seen it over and over again. So it thinks like dream dreamers will only be disappointed. And right. yeah, her, her uncle, her father all had said those kind of lines to her. Right, and in comparison, too, with her mom, who they said was a dreamer, who ended yep. up wa walking out and joining the pilgrims, which are these people who, you know, you can't see their faces and they don't right. talk. What did you make of those people, Mark, the pilgrims? Well, first of all, thanks for stealing my make-me-look-stupid question. You're welcome. That's, yeah. <laughs> that is my new job. I try to anticipate whatever you're going to ask me in that segment, and I try to you know, put it in somewhere else. I am worried now because I did come prepared with a second question, but I'm really worried you're going to go there, too. Uh, <laughs> let me see if I can guess it. You know you got to let me know if I do it. No, don't, don't, don't. Leave it alone. Uh, I found the Pilgrims to be one of the, the, the failings of this mm -hmm. show, frankly. Um uh, I, I don't think that they gave us enough to care about the pilgrims outside of just find them odd. They, they get scrap metal and they carry it somewhere and they never come back. That's what we're told. Um, yeah. They're not particularly engaging characters. There's not enough backstory that makes you feel like there's a puzzle to be solved there. It's almost like they're put in the show just to be weird and, and set you off a little bit. Um, if I don't know, man, I have no clue what those folks are trying to do or why they're doing it. And, and unless they, they just have sunken so deep into the hopelessness that, you know, why not just clean up the stuff that isn't 
organic and trying to kill me and take it somewhere. And maybe I, maybe they're all building a space that completely covers up all this organic crap that's only out to get them and destroy them. Maybe, but that that is such a far stretch based on anything they told us. I don't know, man. What did you think of? <laughs> it seemed it seemed kind of like a plot plot device so that uh, Vesper had a place to stand in the final scene to <laughs> either see the citadel or to uh, release the seeds uh, for right. the the rest of the earth. So yeah. I I agree with you. I think that was something that if they had expanded on that or given us some kind of resolution. That, that it would have been stronger. So I think yeah. if at the end, when Vesper is encountering the pilgrims and she's climbing on this structure that they built out of all the crap for some reason that we don't know why they built the structure, right? Other than for Vesper to climb on. I think uh, A structure had, that, at least to me, looked like it was mostly out of wood, right? Well, Didn't it look yeah, like it was just a lot of logs? Metal. But it was supposed to be uh, a lot metal. I, I was confused by that too, sorry. Please continue. Yeah, it was me too, because I thought, well, is she going to go live? I, I thought, well, maybe they're going to go live with the pilgrims, or they're going to plant these seeds for the pilgrims or something. And no, none of that happened. We didn't get any resolution. <laughs> I think it would have been strong if we had seen her mother there, if we had gotten some kind of an explanation as to who the pilgrims were or what they did. The only explanation they give us in the movie is that, um, that perhaps it's some kind of a virus that has to do with the plants, but nobody really knows. No, so I, I, I agree with you. I think it was kind of uh, a weak point in, in yeah, the Yeah, and, and honestly, there, there weren't a lot of weak points in this. That was just one of the ones that I really thought, yeah. like, I wish they'd have given me more reason to care outside of, like you said, and I think it, exactly outside of a plot device. It was a place yeah. that she could think of, of as where her mother may have gone. And a kind of reconnecting with the dreamer mother as the person that leads or a, 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 a metaphor for her mom leading her to the yeah. space where she ultimately lets the genetically modified uh, seeds that she has uh, been able to make survive and, and feed more than one cycle uh, out. And somehow that connects back with her mother, the dreamer. Um, yeah. That's the only thing I could, I could figure out. It just seems weird. Um, I, I do like that it ends, you know, on this hopeful note of, of human spirit persevering. Uh, I think that that is, is a, one of its strengths, particularly since they spent a lot of time setting up how horrible the human kind of outlook is with the people right. in the Citadel and Jonas, her uncle, all just hoarding what they can get and using it for, for power and for, well, out of greed, they use it for power to the point that, I mean, well, when she tells her uncle, look, I have, I've figured it out. I've broken the, the code and, and now these mm -hmm. seeds will feed us forever. You can have all that you want. We can have all that we want. You can just take it and leave. Uh, and then he goes and calls the Citadel to make sure they get destroyed. Like, yeah. as if, like if, if it wasn't clear that they were trying to make us understand <laughs> the, how horrible humans and how greedy humans can be, even to the point of preferring to try to hold on to my own power over yeah. knowing that I will survive as for a natural lifespan because I can have all the food that I want. They tried, they set that up so hard. It, it would have been a nice payoff to connect the pilgrims in a stronger way to dreamers to make what they're doing not seem so meaningless. 
but some kind of dream that they have. Like I said, a city that they're building out of metal where the, you're going to be free of all these animals that are uh, plants, animal thing, big tweens that are trying to kill us. Some kind of hopeful note that she then turns to and follows because ultimately that, I think that there's where they're trying to finish, right? And this note about the yeah, human spirit I, persevering even in the midst of this horrible world. Yeah, I think that would have been a, a, a lot stronger. Um, and yeah, I think that one one very good thing is that even through the cynicism we see through um, through uh, Vesper's dad as, as he's saying, "Hey, give up on your dreams and stuff like that," is that he's still willing to sacrifice what little life he has to ensure that she's yep. saved, and that um, that you know her her friend, the the jug from the city uh, or from the citadel, is willing to give her life so that Vesper is able to survive. And so we do still see acts of human ki uh, right. kindness in the midst of all that counteracting the cynicism. But yeah, I, I I think the pilgrims would have been stronger if they developed that more. But I think it's also like a representation <laughs> of what was really strong about this movie, and that's that mm. it had such rich development of of this other world and it was something that you know obviously we hadn't seen quite like this before and so i think seeing you know the people in the citadel and the, the humans who were trying to survive in this these jugs these beings that were created to be in servitude and then and then the pilgrims that seeing all these different structures in the post uh, uh beings in this post-apocalyptic kind of world was was very interesting too yeah yeah, I thought they did an incredible job with creating this this space in this world and reimagining what it would be like when they bioengineer uh, different things to try to fix the problem they created with the with with the environment and ultimately make it worse. And they did this beautiful job. Because there's actually some app in, in the midst of this horrible kind of muddy, murky space. There's a few times where they're in the midst of these plants that have redeveloped and they're glorious. They're beautiful with colors yeah, on the end yeah, yeah. And, and almost interacting with the humans in this beautiful way. Uh, these little notes of, of hope. I, I, I really did appreciate that a lot. Well, listen, we could keep going on and on and talking a lot about it. And a matter of fact, uh, I wouldn't mind doing it, but uh, it is time for us to move on and get to a little meatier topics. So let's take a quick drop and we'll come back and talk about the, the theological and political perspectives investment. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are moving into our Theopolitico segment where we're talking about the theology and politics that can be found in Vesper. And there's a lot here. And so I think maybe an interesting place to start that's somewhere that we haven't talked about before is the Jug characters in this show. And so Jugs are beings that are created to be in servitude. And the way that we're introduced to the Judd, the Jug character, is that uh, Jonas uh, is uh, have, has his kids all gathered around the Jug, and uh, the Jug has been uh, has had something fall on it, and it's trapped, and it's screaming in pain. And yeah. Jonas says, 
you know, it's not human. It was made in a lab. It won't feel a thing as he tells the child to put it out of its misery. And it's a kind of a test for the child to, um, uh, to see if the child will will kill the jug or not, um, is this making a statement, Mark, on on violence versus compassion? Uh, what did you make of the whole uh, wow. jug, uh, especially this scene right here, where we're introduced to the jugs? Yeah. Well, th- this particular scene to me uh, had a lot to do with how much it went with creating a society that people feel forced to buy into. There was this real test going on. Mm-hmm. I'm in charge. I'm telling you this thing, this being is, is in value, not value, has no value. What's so, so much to speak of. And that what I want you to do is to kill it, but, you know, also indoctrinate you into who we are and you prove that you're willing to go to all links. I think that was a big part of what that scene was about to kind of establish that he has that kind of environment with his quote unquote kids. We could go into a whole thing about what happens there. I, I, I think the jugs are really are a statement on, you know, servitude and, and, and what we do to people when we take away everything that makes them what they are and force them into little tight boxes. Um, and, and I think they should have done more frankly, with that, those, because they only presented two to us. They talked to a couple, right? Uh, but in both cases, though, they were folks who served at the will of their master. And so for me, they were trying to make statements about uh, everything from indentured servanthood to fools, uh, um, pe- to people being completely um, put in a place where they have no choice but to follow the master's will. Um, where, where did you see it going? Yeah, so I, I I think too that it's a statement on dehumanization and how easy it is to dehumanize others, even when you can sure. clearly see pain of oh, yeah. people suffering, right? As they could in the scene, they could clearly see this being screaming Absolutely. out of pain as they're saying, that's eh, not human. Don't worry right. about that. Um, and on the other hand, we, we see uh, the other character who has developed and is, uh, is you know, has grown, grown hair because the other one hadn't grown hair and so looks more right. human uh, and has all of these talents, can play beautiful music, has some kind of healing property. We don't know exactly mm-hmm. what that is or, or, what that's, uh, or what that could be. And so right. in a way, it's a statement, I think, too, on human flourishing. Like what happens when we stop dehumanizing people and we allow for human flourishing so that mm. so that people can really truly be who 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 they can be whenever they're supported and all. And so um, what what uh, what places, Mark, do you see dehumanization like that happening in our society? <laughs> it doesn't happen anymore, right? Uh, well, of course not. We, we wouldn't do, we wouldn't do that to people. We call them things Never. like jugs rather than humans. You wouldn't call Never. them things like animal or insect names or or rats or cockroaches. We wouldn't call people like that to dehumanize them so that we would lighten our burden if we decide that we need to do bad things to them. So I don't know what you're talking about. I, I've not seen never, that. Happen. I've never heard that in American. But luckily, luckily, that that was the case, right, in American history. But we've overcome that, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. We're so much better than that now. I, don't, I can't think of a time. <laughs> I knew it. 
Well, well, we we do that kind of thing, you know. Why? Why? I don't even know why you bring it up. Honestly, I don't. I don't know why you bring it up. I mean, I, I do love that, that. That's part of what this film is doing is calling us out on that dehumanizing of folks, of trying to set them up to look as less than human, as that because they're not just like us, then there must be something wrong with them or something less about them. And because of that, most importantly. You shouldn't feel bad about building walls that keep them from coming in and, and having a better life. You shouldn't feel bad about putting them away in cages uh, because they're not really as human as you are. I love that the film, uh, and that wasn't even its main point in any way, but no. they used every opportunity to pick at, at certain small little things. That, it's not small little things. They were small in the movie, but that are very big and important in our society. They, they took the every bit of chance to go even bioengineering i mean mm -hmm. uh, just like in vesper um we have farmers who are getting taken to court because a bioengineered seed from a large company who spent a lot of money on it blows out of their out of their neighbor's field into their field and then they get called for actually growing that seed that they didn't purchase from them i mean there's a lot of things in this movie that are calling out realities in our world yeah and they do it in a in a very smart way i think to yeah. to i think to frame it in uh in this uh in this impending doom that we all kind of somewhat feel in terms of the climate crisis so to place it in that and to have that mm -hmm. be the setting but to be able yeah. to make commentaries on more than just that I think is what makes this film really special because uh, mm. a lot of a lot of films are just really able to talk about, say, the climate crisis, and that's what the right. whole thing is about. But there are so many layers here, and so I mean, we've already talked about you know uh, oppression and dehumanization. We've talked about we we have talked about climate change. We've also talked about you know the human spirit and and Absolutely. hopefulness and what all, and what all of that means mm -hmm. and, and, and social classes. And I think that's something that's really special about this and so one of the other things that stuck out at me in the movie was a line where the dad said to vesper you don't just give up when things are hard things are hard for all of us uh and then uh and then vesper uh ends up reflecting this line uh and saying if a flower can change its purpose so can you so um i was i was interested in that uh Mark, you know you caught uh, something you caught something that i didn't catch i didn't know that her dad said that to her because she later said that plus a little more to camellia so that was that was that was that's the way i remember that and uh i i'm curious mark uh yeah tell me yeah. uh it is there is there value in uh, in that line of thinking and thinking? Hey, um, don't give up. Mm. Uh, you you have a responsibility to go on whenever yeah. things are hard, because mm. that's something I think that the Protestant Church in particular has tried to tried to ingrain in people. Right. You know, hard work, don't give up, and if things are tough, hang in there. It's hard for right. all of us. Right. Is there value in that or not? No, and no, then, there's. Uh, yeah, tell me. Tell there's, me about there's it. no there's no value in the line when it stops there. Uh when it is just that, hey, you don't get to give up when things get hard, hard for others. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make it happen. That's just re 
ridiculous, uncaring um, thinking that that comes from a place that's uh, that that doesn't want to risk itself, that doesn't want to have to put itself out to help others. The great thing is, the, as I remember what happened, is Camellia says, I don't want to, it was right when Camellia was trying to stab herself mm -hmm. in the back to kill herself. Right. She says, I don't want to exist yeah. anymore. And Vesper does say, you don't get to give up when things get hard. They're hard for all of us. But then she continues on and says, but we stay and we help each other other hmm. that's when it's a meaningful line that's when i agree with it yes we have community we have each other you stay that doesn't mean yeah you might give up a little bit but you don't give up completely because there's the rest of us we'll help you process we'll help you through it we will help each other we stay and we help each other that i think should be more of the outlook of the Protestant church. Uh, why do we not get more of that? <laughs> because of bad theology. And I think yeah, it has to do, fair. I think it has to do with the next line that, that mm. you reflected. What um, was, if a flower can change its purpose, so can you. I think that mm. in the Protestant church, there's been such this line of thinking that like, well, no, we have this, this one purpose and it's already yeah. been set out for us and we can't change our yeah. purpose. Uh, but I think that yeah. the act of realizing that actually, you know, in each moment we have a new chance to change things. Uh, and mm. just because we've been doing things in, in one way doesn't mean that we have to continue doing things in that way. And, uh, uh, and just because we've understood God in one way doesn't mean that we need to continue to yeah. understand God in that way. And that each each second that we're alive, we have an opportunity to do that. So yeah. I, I thought that I, I agree. I, I thought that those were like lines of like bad theology coupled with good theology of how we can yeah, get out absolutely. of that. And that's how it struck me as I heard them like mm -hmm. uh, you don't get to give up when things are hard. Uh, oh, yeah, you do. Things are hard <laughs> yeah. for all of us. Uh, uh, but, but you can, you can change your purpose. You can change your mm -hmm. outlook. You can change the Absolutely. way you think about things. So, um, the dad, um, whenever, uh, whenever Darius, 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 you know, Darius. Darius, thank you. Uh, she always no. called him pops and I didn't, pops, I couldn't yeah. remember the name. Yeah, I think Darius. his name, I think, I think between his, I think his brother mentioned his name once. Uh, you're good. You're good. I, I, I think know I we might both be wrong. have trouble with names. So much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not not a good trait for ministers. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you gonna do? So, um, don't give up. I'll tell you that. We don't, don't give, give up. up. We stick together. We learn to change. Sorry. We learn to change. So his initial reaction was. Um, especially when he found out that Vesper's new friend was a jug, uh, was to abandon her. Um, and yet at the end, he ultimately sacrifices what little life he has left for both girls to get out of the house and, uh, and to survive. And so I, I'm curious, Mark, um, uh, is it, is it possible to have such a radical change in perspective all of a sudden, uh, or or what's uh, what what happened in this in this dad to uh, to to change his perspective so quickly? Life experience, 
thought reflection, seeing that there was a person that was connecting with someone in his life. It's really easy to hate someone and to think poorly of them um, when you've not really had any one-on-one -on -one connection and experience with them. Um, hmm. It's uh, we, like I said, like we said, uh, we were talking earlier. One of the things I like to say is that uh, you can't uh, logic someone out of a position they didn't get into logically. Uh -huh. And so a lot, a lot of times, people's hate comes from a non-logical place. And once we start having real life experience, something outside of logic, just outside of experiential, it can really truly change us radically quickly. I've seen it happen over and over again particularly when it comes to folks who maybe have the, these uh, really messed up and horrible ideas of people in the LGBTQ plus community, um, watching them early on in a relationship with someone who is in that community, realizing everything that I was thinking was a lie and I was buying into mm. it for non-logical mm. reasons. So I think it's, it is actually very possible. I mean, what's your take on it? Yeah, I, I, I think it's very possible too. And I think, I think in this case, it was realizing what was actually best for his daughter and realizing what his daughter needed to, to not only be able to survive, but be able to, to really live into who she was supposed yeah. to, was supposed to be and um, wanting what was best for, for her and knowing that, that that's what she needed. Hey, look, there are so many uh, themes that we could talk about. I mean, we barely, we mm. haven't even really touched on the ecological crisis, oh. but you know what, Mark, it yep. is time to move into our final segment the make me look stupid segment. And we've got to get to this, you know, it's, it's the yeah, funnest it's, segment of the show. So we can't talk time. about theology and politics all day. Okay. So let's, let's go <laughs> ahead. Let's take a break. Let's take right. a sip from our drinks and let's come back right. and get ready to make each other look stupid. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. Uh, so we're into our Make Me Look Stupid segment. Uh, you have already, uh, as you are now, like, I, I don't know how you do it. I don't know if you have spies in my house, but you seem I to be making computer. I'm not surprised. It does not surprise <laughs> yeah. me. You seem to have this knack for stealing, like, what my one of my main questions was going to be. You've already done so today. But here's the thing. I've already come up with a backup to my backup since we've been have. sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> and so because of that, I have a question I want to ask you that I think might be a very good question to end on. Okay. And even though I'm risking you stealing two questions from me, okay. I am going to be the benevolent host of this segment and give you uh, the floor for the first question. So fire away, sir. Okay, here's what I want to know. Whenever Vesper has unlocked the seeds and the house has has blown up, her yep. dad's her dad's droid has uh, burnt out the house. Yep. She yep. goes back and she plants three of the unlocked seeds right outside of the house. Why does she do that? And do those seeds represent anything in particular? I think she does it for, for, we haven't given away the ending, but we might as well, since we do spoilers in the very end, 
She does follow the pilgrims. She finds this giant tower that they're building. She climbs to the top of the tower and she looks in one direction and she sees the, the glorious translucent mushroom-shaped citadels where all of the very popular and rich folks and well-to-do folks live. But then she turns to the other direction, which you assume is sort of the going further and further down the class list. And she allows these changed, modified seeds to blow out of her hands into the world so that the world can now begin to have food that recreates and reproduces itself. I th and before that, she buries those three seeds. And I think it's both purposeful and uh, meant to represent something. I think it, it represents her mom, her dad, and herself. She knows it will grow life. It represents the new life. But I also think it represents her, the sign, not represents, but it's a sign of her just blowing those seeds out into the wilderness and only doing that is wasteful as fuck. Like that is not going to help anybody for a long time. You got to wait for someone to discover it to figure out it reproduces itself. Like I get the symbology, sim mm -hmm. sim symbolic nature of it and how important that is. Mm -hmm. But she is an, an incredibly intelligent person. And that's one of the things they come yeah. back to over and over in the show is how intelligent she is. She's a, a, a an amateur biohacker at 13. She is, I believe, yeah. probably the one that set her dad up in this incredibly engineered out of scrap parts a thing where she has a, he has seems to have an external breathing lung and is right. connected yeah. up to this floating me mechanism that allows him to follow her and talk. She's incredibly brilliant. There's no way she would have just blown it off. I think she allowed those seeds to go off because she needed that cathartic moment of giving back to the world. But I think she planted those three seeds, not only to represent them, but that so that she could come back and make sure that they reproduce and that she can then, you know, and they tell two more and they tell two more and they, and they continue to, to have them grow over and over again so that she saves the world more quickly. That's my take. What mm. did you think? So I think the three seeds are symbolic of um, her dad, her mom, and Camellia, the people that she yeah. lost there. Um, so And as like they it. sprout forth and bring forth new life, I think it's her hope for whatever it is that they're experiencing. Love it. Uh, and, and, so, um, and so that was my thought whenever, whenever she planted them there. I, I agree with you in, ter in, terms of, uh, in terms of letting those seeds go uh, that uh, I, I suppose it's symbolic of sharing with the world, but, uh, but not ultimately very helpful. What would have probably been more helpful is if she had gone through and unlocked all the seeds. <laughs> so, right. so I'm assuming that she's going to go back and do that. I felt like that was just, and that's again, here we go back to, it would have been such a much more powerful moment if the pilgrims would have been more readily connected to her mom more directly. We'd spent a little more time talking that through and that her mom represents representing dreamers. And then, so she follows the symbol of her mom back to this thing that it raises her up where she can look out and, and compare what the, what the citadels have and what the rest of the world has, and then dreaming those seeds into a, a larger and better. Like there was a lot of chance to make that a more meaningful moment than it was. And it wasn't not meaningful. I mean, there was right. a moment where I kind of breathed out real deeply when I watched that happen. It was sort of beautiful. I mean, then my, 
intellect kicked in and went, what the hell is she doing? Yeah, that's a, that is exactly the reaction that I had. Like, you see the seeds blowing off, you're like, oh, she's sharing them with the world. I'm like, wait, but they're like six seeds there. That's not going to work. That's <laughs> like, not going to work. Like, and they're right next to this river. Like, right? look at those seeds, like, get in the river. Like, that's this. that was a yeah. really bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> you completely know, agree. I, yeah. I think they want you to think like the seeds are opening up and flying away. The right. music starts to swell right. and, you know, no, no, and then no, no, the no. credits start to come on. But I'm like, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if it had been an end credit scene where you see a seed <laughs> fall down into the river and go. And then maybe somebody tosses a rock into the river and the rock falls on top of the seed and it goes down to the bottom of the river. The animal eats the other one. Something <laughs> just see them all disappear. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay, Mark. Okay, so right. you've got two questions for me, right? I've just, I've just got, got one. Which one are you just throw got one. At me? The one that I was hoping would make it to oh, the end the of the one. show made it to okay. the end of the show. Okay. It's an important question. At yeah. being ministers in, in the world we live in, the word Vesper is an important word. Why do you think they named her Vesper? Well, it's a, a breath of hope, um, and so I think I think that she was a, a breath of, of hope in the world. But not only because she actually unlocked the the siege, right, and was literally the hope for uh, human civilization to survive, but also because of the optimism that she demonstrated throughout the throughout the show. Mm-hmm. So um, she she was. Uh, as we discussed earlier, this unrelenting, optimistic force, even though she had yeah. every reason to be cynical, she had every reason <laughs> to give up. She yep. she was 13 years old. She had n- nothing, absolutely nothing. And uh, things mm-hmm. were being taken away from her every single day. And yet she still continued to uh, to try and find a way to unlock these the, the seeds. That was her one goal in life. And so I think that... Yeah. That that she was she was hopeful in that way too. She was both hope, really, because she unlocked the seeds, and hope because of her relentless optimism. What do you think, Mark? Love it. Well, I, I you know I went to uh, and for people who aren't in a denomination that practice vespers, I went to vespers being an evening prayer, uh, mm-hmm. a, a prayer just before darkness, mm-hmm. and she is a prayer before humanity's darkest hour. She's mm-hmm. basically a call to intellect and to compassion to change and to hope. And so for me, it was just like this beautiful kind of way that they, she, she was one of the, the only person in the movie that constantly used their intellect, their compassion, their, mm-hmm. their, their hope and, and, and took change head on and, and tried to get in front of it and, and just use it for a good thing. And she's literally doing it at what might be the darkest hour of humanity where we are about to, yeah. to collapse mm-hmm. in on ourselves and not be sustainable. So an evening prayer just before darkness seems like the perfect uh, word to describe who she was. Yeah. My favorite service, by the way, I love Vesper's service. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's uh, beautiful. So. There's something, yeah, very special about it for sure. For sure. Yeah. So listen, yeah. we're having a show again next week, turns out. And we, oh, we, we are. Missed. We're gonna do this again. Well, you want to get together well, and drink we, and talk talk some theology next week? Well, if I have to. <laughs> no, we actually. <laughs> I, know that's, those I know that's a stretch for you. Yeah, for those actually <laughs> listen, for those listening, I, this is actually. We may have said this before. Caleb and I both just 
this is one of our favorite parts of our week is that we get it to is, right? watch stuff that we love, uh, have a couple of good drinks, and really just dig in in a geeky, uh, uh, um, intellectually, theologically, politically uh, uh, oriented way. It's so much fun. We love that y'all tune in and let us do this together and, and appreciate it. And we always love your feedback. So please give us all of that as well. Uh, but what are we going to do next week, man? Okay, so Mark, tell me what you think about this. I'm I'm a big Trekkie. I love Star Trek. I, I know mm-hmm. that you you love Star Trek too. And one of the things I'm really into right now is Star Trek Picard. Uh, Captain okay. Picard's my favorite captain. Uh, this is the mm-hmm. final season of Star Trek Picard. By next week, mm-hmm. we'll have three episodes. They're bringing back okay. a lot of the Next Generation cast this season. I've and critics it. have really seemed to like it. It's got 100%. Fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So what do you think about doing Star Trek Picard next right. week? I, I'm willing to go in with you. I'll tell you, I have watched I, I watched the first season completely. And somewhere yeah. in the second season, it lost me, man. And I kind of, yeah. I didn't intentionally stop watching. Yeah. I just had other things I'd rather watch. So I I haven't, but I am glad to to hear that, it, that this fourth season sounds like They've done a, a very good job because I know I've read somewhere. I think this is the final season, so I'd the love to see season. them. Yeah, I, I'd this love to see is, them go out on got. top. Yeah, Me I'd too. love to see them go out Me on top. Too. I want to well. say, so, yeah. a, I would say a real goodbye to Star Trek: yeah. Next Generation crew and all and of the characters. I'm we this ended up be a chance yeah. to do it. I love okay. it. I love it. Picard. So that will be the show next week. Picard, the new yeah. season, season four. We hope that you all watch it. Uh, and uh, have it ready by Monday and tune in with us next Monday at the same time on the Moonshine Jesus Show. Moonshine Jesus. <laughs>